Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast, where we bring an independent eye interviewing the targets of SPAC transactions and their SPAC partners. AI was one of the big themes for SPACs in 2023. Now in 2024, investor appetite and the market opportunity around AI don't appear to be going anywhere. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I speak with Michael Zakarski, CEO of Ben, and Chris Gartner, co-CEO and CFO of DHC Acquisition Corp. The two announced a $358 million combination in September. Michael explains how Ben has built an AI customer engagement tool focused on the auto sales and healthcare spaces and why those sectors were particularly ripe for disruption. While Chris describes DHE's process and pulling together a pipe with strategic investment in a difficult market and how the SPAC is further supporting the transaction through to close. Both also touch on why they welcome increased scrutiny towards how companies going public describe their AI technologies or lack thereof. Take a listen. So AI is having a bit of a moment in terms of buzzy public perceptions, with both some positive and negative headlines out there. But just given how much conversation there has been in 2023 about AI, do you feel like it's been a net benefit to Ben? I would say, you know, for sure. Uh, good to be in a market that has a lot of excitement. Uh, I think from the standpoint of Ben and how we are designing our AI assistance, uh, it's mostly a net positive. Uh, we have a good sense of strategy and a product that's designed around safety uh, and making sure we're building solutions that uh, work for businesses. It really, all the conversations around regulation, all the conversations about consumer data privacy really play well with our strategy and where we sit uh, inside of the AI spectrum. And so, you know, for us, a lot of a lot of the chatter is actually very positive because um, it allows us to really talk about our strengths and how we designed our solutions to be complementary with how we believe businesses uh, want to and need to leverage these technologies in a safe uh, and also uh, practical way. Great. And for Chris, I'm really interested in your process as well. It seems like DHC has been following a lot of different trends and it's been there's been a lot of changes over the, you know, the course of the years you've been publicly searching. And so just how did you kind of come around to Ben and what really caught your attention here? I think as you mentioned, AI is obviously in in the news right now. And while the technology itself has been around for 50 plus years, we're finally at the point where the the underlying infrastructure, hardware all the pieces are coming together where you can have real solutions that can be deployed. And so as we were looking for targets, the most important thing for us has always been the people. And when we, we've known a few of the people, founders of Ben for, for many years, and when they pulled together the rest of their team, they pulled together their IP, they pulled together all the pieces, we felt that this was the right partner for us. And number one, uh, you know, Michael leading the charge, we felt that this is somebody who can actually deliver the vision that I think most people have for AI in a very positive way. So what people probably see when interacting with your software are the avatars engaging with them. But can you walk us through all the things going on behind that avatar? What really makes it tick? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of the big AI companies out there have done a really good job of convincing the market that it's a one-size solution and there's only one way uh, to do AI. That is not the case. Uh, it, you know, you don't need an oversized tool to do the job that you need to do. And so really behind the scenes where we're focused on is the consumer interface. So it's the feeling of creating a human-like experience. So consumers feel the benefits of a empathetic positive conversation, being able to control that timetable and ask really deep and good questions and get rich, meaningful answers. 
as well as complete a task. So as we move from the consumer interface, uh, the man-machine interface, which is where we are very focused with our AI assistants, referred to as avatars, the backend becomes really important. So we used a layered approach to access the right information and provide a accurate and complete answer. So thinking backwards, we retrieve data uh, utilizing a different set of techniques, uh, methodologies uh, like a RAG model. Uh, we may run that through a neural network to get to precision. And then we will use a language model, but we're using the language models in a way that maximizes their benefits. So how do you then take that answer? And again, the information that we're retrieving is all provided to us by our customers. So when you think about you know, what is different with our solution, it's where we get the data that the AI assistant is pulling information from, from the customer. So customers have the assurance of knowing what information the AI assistant is going to provide. And secondarily, we're making sure that the language model is providing the benefit of converting that into speech, making it part of the question, part of natural conversation. We're not using it to do the full job. And so that gives us a lot of uh, benefits in terms of if we don't have an answer, we don't have to make one up. We don't have to hallucinate an answer. We just say, we don't have an answer to that. We're here to talk about this topic. Um, and also from a compute uh, standpoint, it's much more efficient to operate at scale, a solution that utilizes the right size of hardware infrastructure to both meet the demand of concurrency, to meet the demand of cost management, but also provide a very human-like experience. So on the back end, it's not just one system, it's a collection of systems optimized to do the job at hand and provide that accurate answer, helpful information, wrapped in a very human-like natural conversation, but also from the business side, making sure the economics are there. Got it. And your first deployments have been to the automotive sales and healthcare spaces. So what prompted you to look for work in those sectors first? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, both of those industries have a lot of similarity, believe it or not, in terms of the types of solutions that we're bringing to market. The other area is they're both industries that have a labor shortage and challenges with getting high quality workforce deployed and uh, areas where customers need time. It's all about providing the customer the time to ask the right questions, to make sure they have time to process the information they're getting. And so we found both of those industries uh, as both similar. We found them both as industries that are primed for seeking the maximum benefit from the technologies. And also we see them as great gateways uh, into other verticals as we think about our long-term growth. So both plenty plenty of opportunity in those verticals, but also some challenges. And so by proving our chops in healthcare, um, I think it gives us a good position to then think about other verticals as we think about the business in the outer bounds. I think both these industries are being disrupted. They are changing and very open to AI. So in both cases, as Michael mentioned, they are welcoming the solution that that Ben has as they know that the industry is going to change and it's either going to change with them or without them. And so deploying uh, the company's technology, they feel as though at least they're, they're very well equipped to, to not only meet the challenges ahead, but also be a pioneer. Right. And so Ben has been fine tuning this technology for the last five years, which must have been an interesting time as you were looking at potential applications. How did the pandemic impact the company's thinking about opportunities and approaches for this technology? Well, I think we learned a few things uh, during the pandemic. Uh, I'll start with uh, with one that that I think we're we're all we can all relate to is that I think we learned that uh, we as humans want to go places and we want to see things and do things uh, rather than be uh, cooped up at home. And one of the 
interesting uh, dimensions of our technology is although we can meet uh, the consumer on the web, uh, we also have solutions that are deployed in the real world, uh, in the retail location or in the hospital, uh, where people can actually interact with life-size AI assistance and have a conversation and get the benefit of information, get the benefit of customer service, uh, get the benefit of uh, purchasing something, get the benefit of uh, learning something in the real world. So I think we learned people want to be in the real world, people want to go places, people want to see things. We need to make sure the technology meets the consumer where the consumer wants to go and needs to go. Uh, secondarily, I think people got used to utilizing these technologies in a different way. So on the healthcare side, you know, symptom checkers and the idea of doing virtual appointments uh, and so forth with all the COVID testing, I think really validated to the market that these solutions provide real benefits and also are something that people are learning how to use and are, are really primed to leaning, leaning into these technologies. And you see it more in healthcare as you know other industries are bringing kind of virtual uh, appointments uh, to light. And there's just a big movement on the healthcare side to really you know meet the consumer where they are and provide a digital solution as a first way of entry to, to meet your doctor, see the nurse, go to the pharmacy, et cetera. So I think it was very validating and enlightening to see both that people want to use the technology and we also want to go places, see things, and you know, rather than sit at home with a VR headset on all day. Great. And your presentation notes that much of your business is made up of six-figure enterprise contracts. So how does your pricing work and how much are you able to layer on different services within each of those relationships? Yeah. So our platform is designed to stand up and provide the AI assistance to our customers relatively quickly. When you think about that, you know, each business each customer wants to have a sense of their own branding, their own dimensionality, their own way of doing things. And so we've designed our platform to be able to be configured to meet both the physicality of what it looks like, what it sounds like, how it moves, how it interacts with the consumer, but also um, what the conversation should be like and how you want to guide the consumer through you know, whether it's a purchase, whether whether it's education, uh, whether it's customer service, what is the flavor of that experience? And so we've designed the platform to make it easy to configure for each of those dimensions, make each business have their own AI as opposed to have a one-size-fits-all tool. But again, to do that at scale, you need to make sure you have a foundational platform that allows for that. Great. And uh, Ben has also tacked on a lot of capabilities that make up this suite through acquisitions. So, you know, did the company go about it that way as a sort of a speed to market um, approach? Or, you know, would there have normally been some impediments to developing some of the stuff organically without holding the patents? And so what, what was the kind of the IP strategy there? Yeah, it was both. It was both to grab, you know, great IP, um, as well as to maximize on um, some of the relationships uh, with the universities. So we have a collaboration with a Korea University. Um, really excited about the work uh, that we're able to fund there, as well as the IP that comes out of it. It's certainly helped accelerate our flywheel and provide state-of-the-art solution. And we also wanted to make sure that what we bring to market is best of breed technologically. And so the places where we found that best of breed technology was with, you know, one of the acquired companies. And uh, that plus our foundational patent portfolio uh, around different signal mixing, signal processing, really gave us a strong moat in terms of making sure that what we're building and the solutions we're providing to the market are both practical, they're commercial, but also making sure we have a strong moat protecting our IP as we go to market. Got it. So just going off of that, what made you decide that now was a good time to go public and why through a SPAC? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, it's the DHCA team. Um, you know, Chris 
you know, for myself, uh, I've known of Chris for, for a long time and been very impressed with his work, um, as well as the team behind DHCA. So, you know, not only uh, very accomplished business people, all uh, very well connected on uh, government and military side, and uh, they bring a lot of that team vision and uh, collaboration to all their projects. We've, we've seen it uh, here. Um, so I would say, first of all, it's the opportunity to work with DHCA and then the team there uh, is, is definitely you know on the list. We also see a big opportunity in allowing investors to participate in AI. There are not a lot of choices out there today, very limited number. And so we see that as a strength of giving um, investors the opportunity to participate in these technologies now uh, while while it's still early and to have the benefit of making those investments as both you know the market moves forward and, and we move forward in our business. Also, you know, obviously opportunity to capitalize the business. So, you know, that's that's definitely on the list. And we also see it as a leg of defense around our patent portfolio, making sure that, you know, folks know who we are and that we have uh, real tech where it's defensible and really show the market what we're able to do through through all those different ways. So we think it's a, it's a great moment for us to, to do this now and definitely, you know, the right team to take us uh, through the process. Great. And as you know, Chris, you know, not all SPAC deals are the same, despite how the financial press may talk about them sometimes. But, you know, here at the SPAC Insider Podcast, we always like to get into some of those details in terms of how the SPAC sponsor is supporting the deal. And with this one, you know, starting with the pipe, you know, how did you manage to get some strategic capital involved in that? And what was the process like? Because we know that the pipe market's been very tight this year. It, it certainly has. And and I think one of the issues with the SPAC deals is not the not the instrument; it's the it's the target companies themselves. Uh, the vehicle, I, I, again, being a banker for thirty years, the vehicle I think I think works. the The question is, what's the underlying asset? And so, in the case of Ben, it was able to attract capital because of what the company does and the value prop. It was very clear. And look, I don't want to overstate uh, the company's position, but this product sells itself with regards to the value that it can bring the end customers. And so when this when the strategic saw the product demo, they're in a space in the auto space that's being disrupted. We all know what Tesla is doing, but aside from that, the whole dealership network needs to respond to, as Michael mentioned, the labor shortage, the way the vehicles are being priced, the dealers, I mean, the OEMs trying to do more direct sales. This is a market segment that's gonna change. And when they saw the leverage that Ben could bring to their own business, and AFG felt that they understood that customer being in that business for 25 plus years, how it could revolutionize the many different parts of the interaction with the customer, as well as the auto dealerships operations. They said, we have to be part of this because if we're not, the industry is going to pass us by. So I think it was one of those moments where the light bulb went off two minutes after the demo started. I get it. I need to be part of this. And I don't just want to be a customer. I want to be a real partner. And that conversation, I wouldn't say no conversation is ever easy in terms of pipe discussions, but that one flowed very nicely. Uh, right now, I think the, the challenge for us is, is focus. We have to make sure we're focused on the right verticals. We have to make sure that we're not being pulled in too many directions. Because as I mentioned, every boardroom, every company is talking about AI. They all want to be part of it. When they see the company's demos, they say, wow, this is a solution we need to deploy. So we have to make sure that we're picking partners, both uh, for the pipe. We don't, we don't want to go out and do broad sweep of the market for a pipe. We want to pick people who are truly aligned with us in terms of delivering the solution to customers. And so far, that's where we've achieved our greatest success. 
And great. And going a little bit further, you know, DHC is, is further supporting the deal by making some sponsor shares available to incentivize lower redemptions. You know, we've seen SPACs approach that particular issue this year in, in a number of different ways. Um, I'm curious about your thinking of it. And, and you know, why did you feel like that was kind of an important step in, in terms of the structure and, and the, the end game for going to close? Well, I think it's it's important to obviously support the stock and uh, support the, the trust capital, but also spread the the shareholder base uh, with people that we have relationships with. You know, this is something that we are committed to working with with Ben and committed to the deal. And so for us, it's really about as opposed to maximizing a single transaction, we want to maximize whatever works for the company and the shareholders going forward. And so if we we spend sponsor capital to do that, we're totally aligned with the people who are willing to support the company going forward. Great. And I'm also interested in your valuation process, just because you know your presentation notes that you factored in several different cohorts of comparable companies as a part of the analysis. And just so how did you go about that? And how did you sort of weigh the field a little bit, given some of the unique tools that Ben has? First of all, we looked at a number of things. Probably the first place we started was the IP, and we got very comfortable this is going back uh, quite some time. We got very comfortable with the intellectual property that the company had, its process for developing that IP, as well as the ecosystem in, that was partaking in that IP. So we felt that there's a, there's a fundamental value to that IP. And initially, we thought, you know what, this could be a great licensing company. But very early on, we, we felt that was the baseline. But then very early on, we also realized, wow, this is a, a team that can really not only license, but also can operate and capture a lot of that value themselves. So we had uh, the second leg of the stool now being pulled, and that's looking at what the opportunity was with a team that can actually execute. And so we developed some some internal models in, in terms of the opportunity. You know, their automotive partnership, they represent roughly 5% of of auto, automobile dealerships. So it doesn't take much to get comfortable with a business model that is able to initially go after that largest segment of, of dealerships. The third leg of the stool was looking at comparables. And as Michael said, there's not a lot of opportunities for investors to really directly invest in an AI company at this scale. It's going to be difficult to get a 10x uh, off of some of these companies, even the ones that are publicly traded. If you look at you know the companies that have meaningful AI capabilities, it still only represents a, a portion of their business. And in addition, getting uh, returns of that scale will be difficult simply because of of where those companies are today in terms of size. So it was it was difficult for us to 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 get pure set uh, comparables. But what we did do is we looked at like companies with regards to the opportunity, rapidly growing markets. Uh, disruptive technologies, innovative technologies, and created a basket that we felt this was uh, a very fair entry point for for ourselves, and, as well as for the, the, the public markets. And at what point do you think you will look at diversifying into more client sectors, given the big market that you expect to be out there? Yeah, I think um, you know we're 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 certainly open to it. But uh, to Chris's point, you know, focus is is incredibly important in any business, and especially in a market where there's so much excitement and so much opportunity. And you know, AI is top of the list in in, in every boardroom globally. We we want to make sure that uh, we do the job well, and we are incredibly focused on the markets we're uh, entering on automotive as well as healthcare. And so you know, depending upon 
the right opportunity, depending upon use cases um, that we can be successful in very quickly leveraging um, what we've developed for the healthcare and automotive sectors are likely going to be good indicators. I would say that we also chose the automotive and healthcare verticals because they're good gateway verticals into other markets, other verticals uh, that we may want to pursue, both from a technological complexity standpoint in terms like healthcare and making sure that um, you're meeting HIPAA and um, other you know, consumer data requirements and automotive because of the call it retail appeal. And so I think through those, we demonstrate all the capabilities, any other vertical, let it be financial services, um, let it be retail, uh, pure play retail uh, would be looking for. So it's, uh, they're both great verticals from the opportunity size. They're great verticals from the demonstration of the technological uh, prowess you need to be successful in other verticals. And I think that they set us up really, really well uh, long-term to expand our horizons as we uh, look at next opportunities. We, we have seen the discipline that he's had to have in terms of addressing this market. Every single company that has some sort of customer interaction is a potential customer. So we've already been approached by other sectors in the financial industry, hospitality, uh, restaurant. There are a lot of opportunities for us to go after, which I think are all very large markets. But right now, we've got to get, as the companies identified, we have to get the ones right that we're going after. And they're doing a good job of that. But I am, the, the least of my concerns is, is opportunities. The, most, the greatest of my concerns is, is distraction because of those opportunities. Well, and I guess on the subject of distractions, I just felt like I had to ask while I had you guys here, you know, I'm not sure if you saw, but, you know, SEC chair Gary Gensler recently made comments that the SEC would be looking at cracking down on public companies, quote unquote, AI washing or exaggerating to the extent to which AI is behind some of their tools. And I was just interested to get your, you know, your, your take on that. Is that sort of a concern within the industry? And it seems like there are certain firms out there that have started maybe pulling back on some of the language they use to describe themselves recently, you know, just sort of what are your thoughts? How are you thinking about it on your end? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's an important point. Uh, you know, one of the things that we, we were discussing uh, even uh, in the last few days is the fact that every company, you know, is throwing in the AI factor and like the, maybe they're doing some machine learning, maybe they're doing some regression analysis. It's easy to AI wash everything. Um, again, for us, this is a great moment because technology is out there. Patents are out there. We're very comfortable with the you know years uh, of work and uh, dedication that our team has had developing tools specifically in AI, and we are an AI first company. So again, uh, all the all all the noise I think really plays to our strength just because of um, how strong our foundational technology is, um, as well as our foundational IP. So uh, for us, if the question is you know what really what is AI about your business, the answer is the whole the whole business. I think we actually really welcome that level of scrutiny because. It's incredibly frustrating to sit and listen to the noise that's being generated in AI. You probably don't remember the dot-com craze, but back then every company would simply slap a dot-com at the end of their name and, and claim that they were an internet company. And we started seeing that same playbook. People are faking it until they, they hope they can make it. And unfortunately, I'm saying they're doing everybody a disservice by doing that. So we're, we welcome that level of scrutiny and hopefully, hopefully it'll lessen some of the noise because then the, the companies that are actually developing fundamental IP and products, as has been, we think it'll be much clearer to the market to understand. Definitely. But in general, what is the most exciting thing that you're looking forward to in advancing this technology? 
you know, I'll, I'll answer, I'll answer that question, but I also want to build on what Chris said. I think the other difference is, is consumers can actually experience our technology. I think that's also a big difference. So, you know, while many companies can say they do AI as an individual user, you're not going to know the difference. You're not going to see or be able to inter interact with the technology in any meaningful way. And because we are in that front, we're the front face, we're the consumer interface, people have an opportunity to actually interact with the technology and experience it in their day-to-day -day life. And I think that's uh, another component of um, getting back to the AI washing conversation of you know how we how we welcome it and how, how we're different. What excites me most is that same premise, is the ability to allow people to experience the technology in a way that helps them in their everyday life, that helps them with their experience when they're going to the pharmacy and they may have questions about a particular medication. It helps them if they're having a procedure done or your loved one's having a procedure done and you can have a conversation uh, with an AI assistant that's knowledgeable about uh, your, your, uh, your the procedure, your condition and all those things. And you have the right amount of time to actually have an in-depth conversation versus in the moment you know, when you have that small window to to talk to a, a professional. Same thing in the automotive industry, providing people time to go to the dealership and interact with this technology and answer all your questions fulsomely um, and provide you with, uh, with an experience that's on your terms, I think is really, really exciting. And I think it's really unique to be in a position where not only are we developing leading technology, not only are we doing something really cool, but it's also applying it in a way that's helpful and beneficial to society and something that people will be able to experience in their everyday lives. If I can add to that, because Michael, Michael referred to it, but I would like to just expand a little bit on the personal situation. So we, uh, several months ago, a number of months ago, uh, we had a family member who uh, required emergency surgery and um, you know, get them to the hospital uh, very lengthy operation. As you know, these situations are, are chaotic and you're trying to get time with the physician's assistant. You're trying to get time with the surgeons. There's multiple teams involved. And, you know, you can sit in front of a computer and try to Google. And unfortunately, Google comes up with trying to sell you sneakers, doesn't really understand the word and starts sending you down some, some very depressing rat holes aside from the total waste of time. Fortunately, we had uh, a demo that I'd been given by the Ben team that had the Johns Hopkins uh, Medical Library on it. And so we gathered with my, my family and we started asking questions. And they were the same questions we were asking the doctors when we had the brief time with them. And the answers were identical. And in, in a couple of cases, when we were talking to the head nurse, things that they didn't know, we could ask the, uh, we could ask the, the avatar and the avatar gave us the answer before we got the confirming answer from, from the doctor. So we probably spent, I don't know how many hours talking to the avatar, getting answers about what was happening, what we needed to, to do, what uh, all the different complications, recovery, all of that. And it was, I can tell you, it was, it made a very difficult situation, less stressful. You know, if you ask about working with companies that can have huge public positive impact, I lived it firsthand. And as did my family. And it was, as I said, I, putting something, a tool like that in the hands of end users, uh, I think will dramatically improve the healthcare experience ultimately. And when the gets widely deployed, uh, I think it'll help overall level of care pretty dramatically as well. You give so much leverage to the doctors, the PAs, the nurses, that they no longer have to chase down answers 
or to spend time with people who have endless questions. And uh, they can get on the, the path of, of doing things that only they can do as, as humans in terms of actual treatment and care.